Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Um, five Sundays ago, we began to study the book of Nehemiah. You may want to grab your Bible and turn it on or turn it there uh, to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to start at the end of chapter 2 and push into chapter 3. We're actually going to cover all of chapter 3 today. Now, I'm not going to read each verse to you. We're going to bounce around a little bit. But we will cover the entirety uh, of the book uh, before the, the day's over. Now, the, the storyline that Nehemiah is about, the big story, is a rebuilding project. The walls of the city of Jerusalem have been destroyed, and God has called his people to rebuild uh, the walls of Jerusalem. But the second part of the rebuilding uh, project is more about the people. And that was the most important part, I think, is God's intent was to rebuild his people to be a people who would worship him, who would seek him, who would work to see a great work of God in their world. So if you've got your Bibles open, I want to go back to um, how we concluded where we dropped off last week just to remind you of something uh, at the end of chapter 2. And it says this. This is Nehemiah speaking uh, in verse 18 is where we're going to start. And I told them, he's talking about all the people, of the hand of my God, and how it had been upon me for good. We just sang about that, didn't we? And also the words the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So Nehemiah's words have inspired them to say, we're going to get about the work of building. And it says, so they strengthened their hand for the good work. I don't know whether they joined a gym. I don't know what they did to get their hands stronger. But they strengthened their hands for, for the good work. Then verse 19, it says, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us. They despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build. So we left them off in this moment when they were going to step into this this great rebuilding project. They were going to engage this work that God had, had called them to. Um, we're, going to we're going to rise up and rebuild. But we're going to move today over into chapter 3. And there are some things that I, I, I maybe want you to notice. Because uh, if you were to just start reading chapter 3, you would begin thinking, where in the world is Joe going to go with this? Um, there are certain passages of Scripture that if you're doing a study, like, a, like we're doing walking through, you know, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, that can kind of be intimidating for someone to have to try to teach in a setting like this. This could be one of those uh, because it's just a list. It's a list of names. It's a list of places they built on the wall. It's just, it, it, it's just this, this list. There's another uh, list that can be challenging to teach from uh, over in Genesis chapter 5. There are 32 verses of nothing but begats. So-and-so, you know, was 200 years old and he begat so-and-so. And they were 700 years old and they begat so-and-so. And, they were, and, and so that could be challenging to teach through a whole chapter of begats. You get over into Matthew chapter 1. And in Matthew chapter 1, it's a list of names of the genealogy of Jesus all the way back from Abraham. And so it's just this person and that person and that person. Forty-two generations. You know, just think about having to kind of teach on that, that list. But one of the beautiful things about some of the lists in the Bible and teaching or preaching through them is this. There are often great jewels, beautiful gems that you can dig up if you'll take the time to dig around it a little bit. 
And so my prayer has been, as we approach uh, Nehemiah chapter, all last service I said Jeremiah. So just, if I say Jeremiah, I'm talking Nehemiah, okay, just so you know. Um, but uh, in Nehemiah chapter 3, there's, there's this, this list, and I'm praying that we will we'll mine out some gems. Now, the, the thing that Nehemiah, the big idea, if you read that chapter, you're going to pick up on pretty quickly is this. Nehemiah chapter 3 is about hard work. It's just, it's flat out about hard work. There was all this stuff that went on for eight months leading up to this moment. Praying and, and fasting and planning and, and, and going out and looking at the scope of the work. But now we're at that point where it's kind of put up a shut up time. It's, 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 it's hard work time. Now, I know some people are more inclined to like messages that are, you know, kind of touchy-feely. I like doing those sometimes. And then some of us are, are more like, give me some deep theology, baby. Hit me with your best shot. You know, and then there, there are other times that people, th- there are some of you who come to me afterwards and say, oh, man, felt so good. You stepped on my toes. I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to step on anybody's toes right now because, you know, we're spatial distancing and stuff like that. So um, th- I'm not going to do one of those messages today. But t- today... What I want us to do is do this message on, on, on hard work, the hard work of rebuilding for, for God. Now, before I, before I dive into the scripture, because I was kind of doing some you know, study and researching about, about work this week, I, I ran across some, some questions about work that, that I want to share with you this morning. See if you can answer these questions. Just turn to maybe a neighbor and give them what you think is the correct answer. Why are there fewer people going into the career field of archaeology? Just tell your neighbor what you think. Why, why, why are fewer people going into the career field of archaeology? Well, the answer is, is because career advancement is in ruins. Here's another one. Why, why did the scarecrow get promoted? Because he was outstanding in his field. Okay, here's another one. What did the employee do when the boss said to him, have a good day? He went home. Went, went home. I'm not advising that. If your boss tells you tomorrow and they hope you're having a good day, don't, don't go home. What are, what are three bad ways to get exercise at work? Three really bad ways to get exercise at work. Tell, tell somebody. Maybe you get one of them. One is jumping to conclusions. Two is pushing your luck. And three is dodging deadlines. Don't do those, okay? It's, it's just bad. Okay, I, I'm going to skip a couple. Go to the last one. I, I, can t- I can tell you're thinking, okay, lame-o. Okay, I'm, I'm backing off. Here's the last one. What is the worst thing about working in an office that has made the decision to go totally paperless? Go into the bathroom. <laughs> we'll end there. Okay, that does just, we're done with those. Hard work. Friends, one of the realities about, I think about us, I know about God. God longs for his people to be connected to a great movement of God, to, for us to experience and be a part of a, a great work of God. God longs for that. And I think, I think most of us do too, that there's a place in our hearts where we want to be a part 
of a great work of God. We want to see a great movement of God. We, we talk about this all the time. We want to see revival come to the church of Jesus in our nation. We, we want revival to come. But it requires the hard work of humbling ourselves. It requires the hard work of confessing our sins to one another. Ooh. It requires the hard work of repenting. It requires hard work to see a movement of God, be a part of a movement of God. We, we often say we want to, God, we want to see you move on our nation. We want a great awakening. We want to see uh, hundreds, thousands come to saving knowledge of Jesus. But that will require the hard work of sharing the gospel, putting it on display in the way that we live our lives and telling it to the people we're in relationship with. It's the only way that we're going to see an awakening is if we live and breathe the gospel of Jesus where we live, work, and place. You know, we, we say we want to see this great movement of God, but will we do the, the hard work of praying fervently, of fasting maybe even in our prayer life to, to see this, this work of God? Friends, if, if we want to see a great work of God, there's got to be some work on our part, on our end. God, God, God wants to partner in that way. And Nehemiah chapter 3 really shows us that. It, 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 it teaches me two things that I want to share with you this morning. Two, two things that point to what it looks like for God's people to get to be a part of a great work of God. So I want to, I want to jump back to uh, the first five verses. Uh, we're going to read those. They kind of give a demonstration of everything that's going on, or most everything that's going on in chapter 3. Uh, follow along with me. Gen uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, 3, excuse me. Verse 1, then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheet gate. They consecrated it, set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the towel, tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, son of Emri, built. The sons of Hassaniah built the fish gate. They lay, laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Miramoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hekaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshez... Don't name your kids this. Mesezabel repaired. And next to them... Zadok, the son of Baana, uh, repaired. Verse 5. Next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Now, this is the word of the Lord. What was a phrase that you saw repeated multiple times in those five verses? Next to. Next to him. Or next to them. Next to. Next to. Next to. It's, it's repeated six times in those five verses. Take a guess how many times it's repeated in chapter 3. You're not guessing. 36. 36 times. Friends, if something shows up in a chapter in the Bible 36 times, somebody ought to stop and say, what's that about? Why is it like that? We, I mean, we need to pause and ask the question. Why, is, why did God, God choose to inspire the writer of Nehemiah Nehemiah himself, why did God choose to, to tell Nehemiah, I want you 36 times to point out 
how people had to be next to each other in this work. Well, I believe that it's because God wants us to know that if we're going to get to experience his greatness in any way, it's going to involve us working hard, side by side, in relationship, connected. And what that means is we've all got to be working hard to share a common plan. If we want to see a great work of God come, the way they got to see a great work of God come, his people must share a common plan. We must be working on this together. In in Nehemiah's day, they got to see a great work of God because they were working on the same plan. Now, if you look throughout Scripture, you'll see this over and over again. In in Joshua's day, when Joshua was leading people, God gave Joshua this plan. And they, people were living out the plan. And the plan was to move into the promised land and drive out some of the, the enemies that were living there. If you, if you look at the reign and rule of David as king, God gave him a plan. And they implemented that plan. And there was prosperity in, in the earthly kingdom of God in that day. If you go to Acts chapter 2 over in the New Testament... And you read about the, 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 the birth of the church. And people got to see a, a great movement of God in Acts chapter 2. One of the things that you're going to see is they shared not just the plan. They shared everything, the Bible says. That was the plan. They, 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 they shared it in, this, in this great plan. I'd encourage you to go back and maybe read Acts chapter 2 to see them sharing in this plan, this common plan that they worked on together. Now, one of the interesting things I would encourage you to go back and read Uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, I would have thought that if there was going to be this great movement of work that was going to be taking place, that one of the things that you would see over and over again would be Nehemiah showing up at different locations around, you know, the job site. He would work, he would go over here and check on this, go over here and check on this, and go over there. And he may have, I don't know, but here's here's who's not in Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah. Nowhere in chapter 3 will you find Nehemiah, of whom this book is named after. Now, in verse 16, you will find a Nehemiah named, totally different guy. Not, not of the same lineage. It's a totally different Nehemiah, you know, kind of like there's a couple of Michaels, you know, in the house, that kind of thing. They're, 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 it's not, he's, he doesn't show up. And I would have thought that that would have been important, you know, that him popping up, on, you know, at, at the work site. But here's what I, I walked away understanding. When God's people are working next to each other, side by side, living out God's plan, the need for the leader is much less necessary. When God's people have taken the plan as their own, and they own it, and they are working it out, I'm not saying that a leader is not necessary, but what I am saying is they are not essential at every moment to be there to see that the work gets carried out. When God's people are working on a common plan that they're sharing in together. It's an incredible, beautiful thing when that happens. Now, one of the things that somebody should ask, you know, in in a moment like this is, okay, this work that they were doing, did it get accomplished? I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it only took them 52 days. Once once we got to the start of chapter 3, it took them 52 days to get the wall built. Anybody got any idea how long, er, how much earlier the, the first time they started to rebuild the wall began? 15 years. They started to rebuild the wall 15 years earlier, historians estimate. 
and it just fell apart. Why? Because they were not working. They weren't sharing together side by side next to one another, working a common plan. They were, they were all kind of doing their own thing. You know, they, somebody walked out and said, I did it my way. There was none of that. They weren't doing that. They were working this common plan. People weren't trying to accomplish a mission on their own, of their own dream. They, they were accomplishing, and then when they did that in 52 days, they saw this great work uh, of God take place that they had been waiting on. Now, what that should, I, I hope, stir some of you to, to begin thinking, okay, well, if that's true, and we want to see a, a great work of God around here, Joe, what's our common plan? Somebody asked me. I'm glad you asked. Because I want to walk through kind of our, our, our purpose and our vision and our plan. I want to remind us today a little bit, okay? So that we are all working that plan together, that we might kind of own it once again, that we would, we would serve that and share it and, and, and kind of be side by side. Now, our, our plan flows right out of the scriptures. It flows out of what I think are two of the greatest points of Jesus' ministry. The first is when Jesus gave his great commandment, and the second is when Jesus gave his disciples the great commission. We have a saying here that I want to resurrect and raise up, get you thinking about it more, and it's this, simple. We believe that a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will grow a great church. And I believe it will grow a great life and a great family and a great movement of God. A great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission. We'll, we'll get to see God do great things. I just want to remind you of those. The great commandment is found in Matthew chapter 22. And in Matthew chapter 22, a legal expert came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest of the commandments? And Jesus said this. You can sum all the commandments up, Jesus said, in this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. It's the first and greatest commandment. The second one's like it, Jesus says. Love your neighbor as yourself. Greatest commandment. And then at the end of his ministry, after his resurrection, before his ascension, Jesus gave a commission to his disciples. Anybody who was going to follow Jesus, he said, here's your commission. Here's, what, here's your mission. Go do this. And he said this, go. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you, and I am with you to the end of the age. Great commandment, great commission. If we live in those, if we press in on those, we'll get to see and be a part of a great movement of God. we got to build on those. So the question is, do we have that? Do you have that? Do, 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 do I have that? Now, our plan more specifically flows out of both of those statements. Now, don't put it up yet. If you wish, Cheryl, just hold off. But our plan, our purpose statement that our church voted on some years back is real short. It's real brief. If you've ever been out in our atrium, hung out out there, it's on the wall in big black letters. And it's really simple. I want to see who knows it. Okay, I'm going to get you started. River Bluff Church exists. Amen. River Bluff Church, you can put it up now, Cheryl. 
River Bluff Church exists. This is our purpose or plan. To make disciples who make disciples who change the world. Our plan is to make disciple-making disciples. Okay, that's what, that's, what we wanna, that's what we wanna do. That's what we understand. God has called us to be a part of. Now, in the business world, when a business is purpose, when it has a plan, one of the things, there's two questions it needs to regularly ask, I'm told. The first question is, what's our business? What business are we in? And the second question is, how's business? So our business is making disciples. So what is one of them their things? What, what is a disciple? When we say a disciple of Jesus, what are we talking about? I want to give you a picture first and then a word definition. Okay? So here's an image of what that looks like. You've seen this around here. We believe a disciple of Jesus looks like this. That you have an up component of your life, an in component of your life, and an outward component of your life. Let me give it to you in writing. Here's the definition. It's our working definition of a disciple. A disciple of Jesus is devoted to Jesus and practically seeks to make each day an opportunity to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to live the up, in, and out life of Jesus. I want to say that again. A disciple of Jesus is one who is devoted to Jesus and practically seeks to make each day a chance to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to live the up, in, and out life of Jesus. That's what we understand a disciple is. That's what we understand we're, we're, is our plan to, to, to make these. Somebody says, well, where does that come from? Well, it comes from the scriptures. It comes from observing not just the teachings of Jesus, but the life of Jesus. One of the greatest places to see this lived out is over in Luke chapter 6. In Luke chapter 6, we see this rhythm laid out very clearly, but it's repeated in Scripture, and it's not just in the life of Jesus. Paul, Paul taught this way, and he led his disciples to, to, to do this same thing. But here's, here's what it looks like. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, we read this. In these days, he, being Jesus, went up on the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. We call that the upward dimension of life, this up movement. And in the up movement, you and I are seeking an intimate, more personal relationship with God. Now, this can be done together, but it needs to have an individual component. You and I need to be regularly seeking time alone with God. Oh, my goodness. If Jesus needed to spend time alone with God in order to accomplish the mission God gave him, how much more so do we need to? How much more so do we need some alone time with God? So Jesus had this up dimension. Now look what happened next. Verse 13. And when day came, remember he prayed all night. When day came, he called his disciples and he chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Now so one of the things Jesus was, had this big decision to make. He prayed all night about it. And then he came down. He called all of these disciples together. Around this time, Jesus had a significant crowd following him that were his followers. They were his disciples. They went everywhere he went, probably a couple of hundred. And he was traveling all over the place, and they just followed him. And he, he called them together, called them up to where he was on the mountain, and then he named 12 of them. He picked out 12, it says, and he named them apostles. If you want to go later on, it's not going to come up on the screen, but in Mark chapter 3, Mark records this same event. And what Mark tells us in Mark chapter 3 is Jesus called them so that they, they might be with him. 
See, part of this was that Jesus would be in a group, a small group of people that he would be pouring into, that he would be discipling, that he would be connected to in a deeper relational way than he did with the other couple hundred or with the masses, okay? So he was connected deeply in that way. God has called us to live that way, to live in relationship with a, a, a smaller group of people, to do things like we were talking earlier, you know, you don't need to come up here on a Sunday morning and confess your sin. But you need some people who love you enough that you can say, oh my gosh, I'm struggling with this sin. Would you pray for me? Would you help me? The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins to one another, healing will come. We need to, that needs to be in our lives. But it needs to, we need some people that we're doing life with. That's a phrase we use around doing life with that we are comfortable letting them in on. Here's the truth about me. Struggling with this today. They need to be a group of people that we're studying this book with, that we're diving into it, that we're, we're asking questions. It's hard for, to give everybody an opportunity to ask questions in here. You need a place where you're studying God's word, where you're asking questions, where you're communing around the word together. You can do that in a, like a small group, a missional community. Uh, you can do this in that way. Then I want you to see the, this next dimension of, of, uh, of Jesus' life. It starts in verse 17, and then it says, And he came down with them. So that, that's those 12 that he had just named. He came down with them. He stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples. So that's that, that group of a couple hundred maybe. And a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, the seacoast, the Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him, and he healed them all. This was the out dimension. This, this is that, that out dimension where what we do is sometimes we do it together with that group that we're on mission with. Jesus came down. He was on mission now with these 12. He would continue to take them. They would be a part of his mission. They would do life together, but they would be on mission together. And they would go out and, and step into the suffering of the world. And they would seek to bring healing into those places where people were suffering. They would seek to bring truth into places where truth didn't exist and people were, 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 you know, just covered by the lies of the world, the flesh and the devil. They would seek to do that, to bring that kind of healing in. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here, but there are lots of passages. And one of the things I would encourage you to start trying to do is read the Bible with triangle lenses, with up and and out lenses. If you go to John chapter 1, verse 14, it's a passage that many of us are familiar with. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, that of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, the grace that we receive from God is a personal relationship thing. It's, it's part of our upward dimension. Truth is something that we, we need to sit in front of together. We need to live in truth. We need to help each other walk in truth. And then... We want to see the glory of God spread across the world. Go, go out. Right there in John 1.14, we see this up in and out model. In Micah chapter 6, Micah chapter 6 verse 8, many of you are familiar with that verse. The Bible tells us that we need to uh, do justice. We need to love mercy. We need to walk humbly with our God. Well, walking humbly with God is up. Loving mercy or kindness, some translations say. The way that you express kindness is in, in, in relationships. And then we do justice out in the world because there's so much injustice in the world. We need to take the righteousness 
of God into an unrighteous place. And so up in and out is, is just all over. It's this rhythm, this pattern. The Apostle Paul discipled this way, this up in and out. And so that is our plan, to make disciples who, who live that way. And those are disciples that make disciples who go out and change the world. So what do we mean when we say that? Let's blow this definition completely out. What, when we're saying, what, is it, what does it look like to say, you know, people are changing the world? Well, I want to give you a very specific kind of definition, if you would, for what we're talking about when we're talking about the world being changed. We believe that we change the world by giving every man, woman, and child multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond. Not hair like this, but here. That's my southern draw. See, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus where they live, work, and play without having to come or go anywhere. Okay? We, 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 we believe the world only gets changed when we give every man, woman, and child multiple opportunities to see, to hear, to respond to the gospel of Jesus right where they live, work, and play without coming or going anywhere. Which means they don't have to come to church. We take the truth of the gospel that's part of the church to them as we're disciples. That's what it means to change the world. Disciples of Jesus are the bearers, the stewards of the gospel of Jesus. And so what that means is we need to take it into ourselves. We need to share it with one another, but then we need to take it out into the world. We need to share it with, with, with the world. And so this is the plan. And some of that, you know, needs to happen in the church. We need to be serving and building and working in the framework of the church. And then there's also this part of the plan that's outside of the church. But here's something, uh, uh, I'll call it an insight from Nehemiah chapter 3 that, that I saw. It was this. When you start thinking about what part of this am I going to work in, here's an insight from Nehemiah. Work on the part that's nearest your heart. Work on the part that's nearest your heart. You say, Joe, where'd you, where'd you get that from? In Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 10, and in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 23, we see a principle at work here that Nehemiah made some assignments based on the proximity to somebody's home. So you'll see something like in, in verse, verse 10, it says, Next to them, Jedidiah, the son of Hariamoth, repaired opposite his house. You look down in verse 23, and, and it tells us about uh, th this other guy, after them, Azariah, and he repaired beside his own house. If you're saying, well, Joe, where, where would I even start working in serving the Lord at church? Where do I start really looking to serve the word out, out in the world? You need to ask the question, what has God put on my heart? Now, serving inside the church, a lot of times it will have to do with maybe an age group of people. Maybe, maybe it's with preschoolers. Maybe it's with children in our River Kids ministry that God give you a heart for that, that you care about what's going on in the lives of kids, and you want, you want to help them. You want to serve them. Maybe it's our students. Maybe it's teenagers that you're saying, you know, I, I think this world is just hard on, on teens, and I want to I invest in them. I want to love them. I want to I connect with them and pray for them. So maybe you want to plug into our student ministry. Or, or maybe, maybe it's our senior adults. They tell me I are one. I'm holding off, though. I keep pushing back against that lie, but they tell me I are one. But maybe what God is calling you to do is be uh, directly involved. Maybe that's on your heart to care more for our seniors and connect with them and love on them and help them feel uh, vital and special. 
I, I don't know what, that, what is on your heart. Maybe it's not anything to do with an age group. Maybe it's, maybe it's some other kind of thing. Maybe it's, it, it's, it's helping with uh, serving homeless or, or serving the poor. Or, or, or maybe it's about evangelism. Or, or, or maybe it's about making people feel welcome when they show up at church. I don't know what's on your heart. But I do know this. The Lord puts something on all of his kids' hearts so that they will engage in a great work, to be a part of a great work. So it, it, that may be it. When, when you think about outside, those are easy. Wherever God's planted you is where your heart is. So in your family, you, you, you serve the gospel there. You, you disciple there. You try to change the world there, in your, your own household, your family, your extended family, where you work. God's planted you there. That's where you need to employ this plan. Where you, where you play, in, in, in your hobbies. If, you're jo- if you join a gym, maybe in your gym. Where, wherever you're spending time, where you, where you recreate. Maybe a club that you're a part of. You engage this gospel plan of making disciples who make disciples who change the world in the church and, and in the world. You plant that. And if we're going to, if we're going to see a great work of God, we've, we, we've got to engage together in a common plan. And here's the second thing that I see in, in Nehemiah chapter 3. To be a part of a great work of God, his people must each play their part. His part, her part, our part, your part. We, we all have a part to play in, this, in, a, in a movement of God. And and we see it here in Nehemiah, but it's also clear in the teaching of the New Testament. There are are a couple of things that once you come to Christ and and start being a a part of a New Testament church, there there are two things that you should never say again anymore. One is, I don't need you. And the other is, you don't need me. Those are both lies. They're both lies. Because God's word teaches we really do need each other. And guess what? Guess what we've really been figuring out during the pandemic? We miss each other. We need each other. We want to be with each other. We crave it like we've never craved it before because it's been taken from us. But it's in, been in God's word the whole time. He created us for that. There's a longing for that. And each of us need to be connected to that. You know, one of, the, one of the things that I think the pandemic has also taught us about that is not to just be a consumer. You know, I, I, think, I think two of the greatest problems that the church, especially in America, faces today is, 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 is too many people come to the church as a consumer and too many people who have been in the church are exhumers. Consumers, exhumers. Consumers only show up wanting to, to know what's in it for me. What am I going to get out of this? Me, 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 me. I, me, mine, you know, kind of thing. Exhumers are people who are constantly trying to bring up the past, you know, dig up dead stuff, saying we need to go back to that. that you know, that's what we, we, we need to go back there. Friends, we talked about this last week. You cannot go with God and stay where you are. You can't live in the past. You've got to move forward. God says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. 
And we got to walk with him into that. So it's not about consumers or exhumers. It's about people who are saying, God, I desperately want to be a part of a great movement with you. God, I, I want to do that. And that means that we're each, we, each of us, every one of us, needs to play our part. And Nehemiah chapter 3 points out four things that I want to give you real quickly about what that looks like. Four things real quickly that Nehemiah points out. First of all, it's this, that no matter their class or status or occupation, everyone was called to serve. They were all called to serve and share in that same building plan, but they were all called to serve. I want you to look at some of the different walks of life. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Then uh, Eliashib, the high priest, rose up, and his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. The priest, the clergy, got involved in, in the hard work, the heavy lifting, the removing of the rubble, the building uh, of the wall. One of the things I want you to notice is all of these were volunteers. There was not a, pro, a professional contractor mentioned, okay? Everybody was working outside the realm of their own experience and training, okay? W look at what's next, uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 8, and Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 32. Uh, it says, next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired. This is a dude who makes perfume. He's now out there on a construction site, Okay? Yeah, it's just, it, it blows my mind, going from perfumer to, to construction. And then Nehemiah, verse 32, it talks about goldsmiths. These are jewelers and merchants, salespeople, you know. And it says that what they're doing, they're engaging in this work. It's hard work. It's work outside of the scope of their training. They didn't wait around for somebody to give them a certificate. Now you can go serve. They didn't wait on certification. They got busy. They, they started doing the work. Then look at this uh, in, in verse 12. It says, Shalom, the son of, please don't name your kids these names. Oh, my gosh. Don't go looking in Nehemiah 3 for names for your kids, okay? Uh, Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler. This, is, this was his work. He was a ruler. And then look at what it says, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem. So he was like a mayor, if you would, of half of the district of the city. He, he, he had ruling, but notice who he worked with. It says, um, half the ruler of, of, of half the district of Jerusalem. He repaired the next section with the help of who? His daughters. His kids were involved with him. And not just the, the male children, the female children. The, the girls were involved. When I used to, when I was in student ministry, I, I led student ministry for years. We, we got involved in um, construction ministry. We did this thing called World Changers. And I promise you this, I would rather have to replace a roof with teenage girls and teenage boys, most days, okay? Um, not, not all, that, I'm not dissing all you guys, okay? But for some reason, teenage girls, the, the, the ones that were in our, our student ministry at the time, they were like rock star roofers. It was crazy, you know? Again, they didn't go through training or certification or anything like that. They just dove into ministry. It was cool. God calls people from every walk of life, no matter your occupation, no matter your status, you know, no matter your, your stature. He calls us all to be a part of the work of God. If we want to see a great work, we've each got to, to, do, to do our part. Here's another thing that I noticed from the book of Nehemiah. Some serve more than others. 
some served more than others. Now, sometimes we look around and say, well, ain't nobody doing, you know, only 20% of people doing the work. Okay. In the scripture, sometimes God calls some to do more. He calls all to do something. But sometimes he does call some to do more. Look at this, uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 4, and then compared to 21. It says, and next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hekaz, repaired. And then look down further. Again, it repeats the same thing after him. Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hekaz, repaired what? Another section. So he, he did his section. He got it done. And then what did he say? Like most of us do. My part's done. You know, time for me to hit, you know, some sweet tea and lemonade. He didn't. He said, the job is not done. So he went, he worked on another section. Uh, again, look at verse 5 and, and verse 27. And next to them, the, the Tekoites repaired. And then it says, and after him, the Tekoites repaired another section. They, they, they didn't just stop when their part was done. Because it was, it was part of a great work. They wanted to see a great work of God. And so some did more. Now, here's some questions we need to ask ourselves. Has God given me more? Right now, has God given me maybe some more time than I used to have? And am I using it to see a great work of God, or am I investing it all in me? Or maybe God has, I'm at a place in my life where God's given me a little more expendable cash. Am I using it to take care of me and mine, or am I using it to bless the kingdom of God, to, 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 to be a part of a great, great work of God? You know, the Bible says that God gives everyone gifts, but some he gives multiple gifts. Uh, are, are you using those gifts to, to build the kingdom? Now, and here's the deal. When God gives you more, more is going to be required of you. In Luke chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus told us this, that to whom much is given, much more will be required. So if God's given you more space, more, more, maybe, maybe God's given you more strength of health than others. How are you deploying that in the work of God so that you and I, that we all might be part of a great work, a great movement of God? Third thing that I see in Nehemiah chapter 3 about everybody was called to work is this. Some served with no direct personal gain. Some served, they were not going to experience immediate benefit to their own lives or the lives of their families. And one of the ways that I know that, if you, if you look in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 2, it says, And next to him, the men of Jericho built. They were working on the wall. You know how far Jericho is from Jerusalem? Fifteen miles. The, the terrain, if you walk it, can take sometimes six to eight hours. These men showed up. Their families weren't going to be in the safety of these walls. That wasn't going to happen for them. They were 15 miles away. But they came in and they poured out here. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 7. You get to the end of verse 7 there. It talks about they were from the province beyond the river. They were outside of the river Jordan. They were far away. And Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 22 tells us that, that about some of these priests. They were from the surrounding area. They were even further out. They were not going to experience immediate benefit. 
But they came because they wanted to be a part of a great work of God. They saw themselves as being a part of something bigger than themselves. I love that when we get to see people do that. When people say it's not just about me and mine, but it's about, it's about the work of God. It's about the glory of God. You know, I think about, I think about some people who are no longer with us. They're, they're living in the presence of the Lord right now. Who were with us when this building did not exist. And they gave and they worked sacrificially so hard so that you and I could come and sit in these beautiful big butt chairs comfortably. You know? So that we would have a building to come and gather to worship in that wasn't a hodgepodge but a building with purpose, you know, and design. So that we might gather for worship. You know, I, I think about others who gave up things so that others would experience the grace of God in, in their generation. There was a dear, sweet brother that was a part of our church when we were kind of engaging in this movement. His name was George Denton, and he just represents some others, so many others that have been and still are part of our church. But I remember, George, we, we started, we added drums to worship. And I'll just tell you, some people weren't happy. Um, and you may say, well, I still ain't. Okay. Um, but we added drums to worship, and there were some people that weren't happy. They wanted, you know, they wanted things to stay the way that they had been. And I remember George Denton speaking up one day and saying, and, and George was in his late 70s, if not his early 80s at this time. And, and George said something kind of like this. He said, if this kind of new worship music is what connects the next generation to love God, to follow Jesus, to, 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 be, to be saved, I'll listen to it. I'll sing to it. I might put something in my ears. But bring it on. If, if it'll help the next group of people. If it'll help us. See, it means at times, if we're going to build for, to see the great work of God, it, it, at times we have got to get off ourselves. And I mean minds. What I want. And we, we've got to be willing to, to sacrifice even when there's not going to be any immediate benefit for me. And so that means things like maybe I don't have preschoolers in my house anymore. But I could still serve in River Kids. I might not have teenagers in my house anymore, but I could still serve these guys seeking to bless them. You know, I, I, I might, there may be a lot of things that are not going to immediately benefit me that God is calling me into. That I would build that part of the wall so that I would get to be a part of and see a great, a great movement of God, even though it may not directly serve me. And one of the things that is just so fascinating, too, and this is the, kind of the last point I want to make today, is, is this. And this is a sad point, but I see it in Scripture. Even though all were called to serve, some did not serve at all. Some didn't serve a, a, at all. Now, one of the things I hope you have figured out is God likes to list people's names in this book. We talked about Genesis 5. We talked about um, Matthew 1. You see here in, in, in Nehemiah chapter 3. There are times that God just likes to put the names of people in this book. And you know what the, the, this book says about the word of God? It lasts for all times. God, quite frankly, likes to make lists and put them in books. There are other books that this book talks about, like the book of life. He wants to write your name in it. 
because you've trusted in the Son. God likes to put names in books. He likes to keep up with those lists. And one of the fascinating things about this list, if you look at, back at Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 5, it says, and next to them that the Kohites repaired, but what? Their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. They would not stoop to serve. They would not get their hands dirty. They wouldn't get in the rubble. They wouldn't get in. They would not stoop. And, and the, the thought of it even having to be called stooping to serve the Lord. They, they wouldn't bow before, before, the, before God. They, didn't, they, they basically said, I don't care nothing about being no part of great work guy. Let somebody else do it. They would, not, they would not engage. But guess what? They're in the book. God wrote them down. Because here's the truth, friends. God records those who work. And God records those who shirk. He records workers and shirkers in his book. Now, there's some good news on this. That means he knows your name. And you ought to be glad that the God of all creation knows your name. But you, you need to be mindful that he keeps up with workers who are working in his kingdom. And he keeps up with shirkers. They're mentioned here. For all time. That ain't never going away. It's the truth about God. Now I point this out. To, to kind of close out by saying this. This book, all throughout this book, teaches that there are eternal repercussions for us individually based upon what we do while we're here. And one of those repercussions is, what are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to follow him or are you going to reject him? That has some eternal repercussions according to this book. But then for those of us who have trusted in Jesus, this book teaches that there are eternal repercussions of whether we're going to work or shirk. Because the Bible teaches that there are eternal rewards that will come to you that will last eternally, be lived out eternally, based upon what you do while you're here. I want to name two great books on this. They're both little bitty books. One great book is by Randy Alcorn. It's called The Law of Rewards. Another great little book, it's even smaller than this one, by Bruce Wilkinson. It's called A Life God Rewards. Both of them talk about this clear teaching all throughout the scriptures about this issue. Now, I, I know this makes some people antsy when I talk about it. And I understand why. Because there's this whole thing called the prosperity gospel that got built out of this. And you've got to be very careful. But it's in God's word. And I will, not, I will not be silent so that one day in eternity you can come to me and say, Pastor Joe, you didn't tell me about this or I'd have worked harder here. You're being told today, if you haven't heard it before, what you do here matters eternally for you. I just want to run through some, just a few scriptures real quickly. To show you, just to whet your appetite so you'll know, okay? Look, look with me real, real quickly. Revelation chapter 22, starting in verse 12. Jesus says this. He says, behold, I'm coming quickly. And my reward is with me to render. So he's going to give out this reward. To render to every man, women too, according to what he has done. 
Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and Omega. Luke chapter 14, verse 13. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid when? At the resurrection. You may not get paid here, but you'll be repaid at the resurrection. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Jesus says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely in my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great where? In heaven, there's going to be a, a reward. Matthew chapter 19, verse 29 says, And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. So it's not just about eternal life. There's some people, this gets real antsy, and they think we should just do this for the glory of God. And I get that. I understand that. It needs to be about the glory of God. But God in his glory has said... I want to reward you. I want to do this, God says. And he wants you to know it. Uh, Paul writes to, to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and should give happily to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be doing what? Storing up real treasure for themselves where? In, in heaven. It's this investment for eternity. Again, this can, if you take this out of the whole counsel of God context, you can, you can end up really messed up in your faith. But you need to know this, that the work that you do for the Lord today is going to be rewarded. Sometimes in this life, but always in the life to come. Friends, if you want to be a part of a great work of God, you got to get in there, you got to work hard, you got to work a common shared plan. And everybody needs to be doing their part. Everybody is called to do that. So here's the question that we end on today. I've gone a little long, sorry. The question is this. Are you available? Are you available to do the work of God? Are, are you currently, have you made yourself available to the work of God? Or are you just a consumer? Or are you a shirker? Or have you made yourself available to do the work of God? I'm going to ask the, the worship team to, to, to come now. Here's what I want to do. I want to end maybe just a little bit differently today. Maybe today instead of standing up and joining in the singing, maybe you need to see, just be seated and ask the Holy Spirit, am I available? Maybe you need to be asking, maybe, maybe you're working in the kingdom, and, but the Holy Spirit may want to say some more. Maybe he's wanting to say that you're going to be one of those that I'm calling to do more. Build another section of the wall. I, I don't know what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you this morning, but I think you need to ask that question. And maybe today, maybe today if, if you get to that place where you're saying, I want to make myself more available, I'm not really sure where, we want to help you. Pastor Guy did the baptizing today, is our, our pastor for ministry mobilization. He would love to help you find a ministry to plug into. You can email him, okay? Maybe today what you want to do is just fill out one of those connection cards before you leave and drop it in one of our giving kiosks that just says, I, I want to be available. Here's my name. Here's my contact information. Maybe just as an act of worship before you leave here today, you want to go to one of our crosses. Just write a little slip of paper. Jesus, I'm making myself available to you. Just as an act of worship. But today, I want us to just close by sitting before the Lord and asking, let him ask the question, are you available to me? Let's pray. 
Father, we, we just come right now. Holy Spirit, we come. Jesus, we, we come. And we choose in, in just the next couple of minutes just to sit maybe before you. Maybe, maybe you'll, Spirit, you'll lead us to stand. But maybe we just need to sit before you and just let you wash over us this question.